0: Today we are talking about Pete Davidson. Pete is an American comedian and actor and he's also one of the very few celebrities and high profile people who have had the courage to face the stigma and share openly about their borderline personality disorder diagnosis. Pete himself received his diagnosis in 2017. Today, we're going to be doing a deep dive on Pete where we explore his early childhood, the trauma he endured in his life, and the continual mental health struggles he's experienced that led up to his BPD diagnosis. I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time and I'm really excited because I feel like it's the first time that someone who identifies with BPD has taken a deep dive in some of the interviews that Pete has done and I provided a lot of my own commentary in response to some of the things that have been shared in the interviews. So if you are interested in this, make sure to stay tuned through the end of the episode. I also want to provide a trigger warning for this particular episode because there are in-depth discussions about self-harm and suicide. So if you are not in a place where you want to hear clips like this, keep that in mind and do what you need to do to protect yourself. Also, I will be opening up the episode by playing a few listener voicemails talking about the stigma of BPD diagnosis, a little bit about postpartum depression, and then some other BPD healing realizations that will be shared by some of the listeners. So if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast and you'd like to just jump straight into
1: the content about Pete, you'll want to fast forward to about 30 minutes in, which is
0: where we will be discussing Pete's life and his BPD diagnosis. Super excited about this one. So let's go ahead and jump right in. This focus, focus is
1: supposed to be-
0: Welcome to Back from the Borderline, the podcast that helps anyone who identifies with symptoms of BPD overcome their biggest obstacle themselves. My name's Molly and it's my mission to help you break free from your self-limiting beliefs and self-sabotaging behaviors so that you can more deeply connect with yourself, other people, and the present moment. Once you join me, you'll realize that anyone, including you, can come back from the borderline. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be listening to this. I have had quite a week admittedly, I've been having a little bit of a downtime. I'm in one of those phases where I start to get that itchy feeling, feeling like there's got to be more to all of this life thing. I've been feeling like I'm on a perpetual hamster wheel of Instagram content creation and just feeling overwhelmed by the state of the world right now, and maybe you can relate. Sometimes I just get into those phases where I feel down. I feel like, what's the point of it all? I feel like I'm constantly just on a hamster wheel. It's the best way to describe it. And I think if I've learned anything this week, specifically, I made a post about dissociation, derealization, and depersonalization on Instagram. And I'm thinking that I'm going to do a deeper dive in an episode maybe next week on this subject. So go follow back from the borderline on Instagram if you want to check out that post. But it's just kind of talking about those feelings of feeling dissociated, almost like you are just watching your life from the outside. And I spent about three hours reading the experiences of other people that go through that. And something that just really struck me was this is a really common thing. It's a common thing to feel like, what the hell is the point of life? This is all so weird. What are we all doing here? And anyone who is just kind of going through the motions and seems like they've got it all together, sometimes that's like a coping strategy too. Like because I really just believe that all of us at some core level struggle with these feelings, but some of us are better at dissociating and shutting off those feelings and just jumping onto the matrix of life you know some people like dissociate from the feelings jump on the hamster wheel and are just like anyone who isn't just blindly on the hamster wheel agreeing that that's the way it is those are the people that get stigmatized and called crazy et etc cetera, et cetera. and so then it causes people like us who have these big feelings and existential thoughts to seem like the crazy ones, to seem like the abnormal disordered ones. And I'm just starting to see all of these things a lot more clearly now. I'm feeling less
1: broken and less weird and almost like maybe it's weirder to completely cut ourselves off and pretend like people who are having these very natural human emotions that they're disordered and something's wrong with them. You know, this is the kind of stuff that's been... Coming up for me the last few days. So I just wanted to spend a second sharing that with you. But before we dive into the topic of today's episode, which is Pete Davidson and his journey with borderline personality disorder, I'm really excited about this. I've been wanting to do an episode on Pete Davidson for a while now. Um, I'm going to start by sharing a few voicemails from some listeners. So the first voicemail is from Laurel.
2: Hello, Molly. This is Laurel from Puerto Rico. I was listening to the breakup episode part one when you talked about the label of BPD and how stigmatizing and outdated it is. It made me think about a virtual conference I attended hosted by Emotions Matter, an organization that raises awareness on BPD. And one of the panels about breaking the stigma, one of the psychologists pointed out that in California, you cannot get into the mental health diversion program that will allow participants to complete treatment to get their charges dropped if you have BPD. And it goes to show how outdated the information that these people have is. Why, if there is a program therapy for people with BPD, Uh, Why is it not enough uh, to get into this program? So that is why I think the information needs to get out there, that there is hope that people with BPD can get better, that the label of BPD is outdated. And thank you so much for the work that you do
0: uh,
2: trying to raise awareness on this well thank you so much
0: and have a nice day wow thank you laurel for sharing about this so interesting fact i was actually scheduled to speak at the emotions matter um bpd fest in may i'm not sure if that's the virtual conference you attended Um, But I came down with COVID and for long-term listeners of the pod, you'll remember the episode that I came back and my voice was even huskier than now (laughs) because I was recovering from COVID-19 and I wasn't able to speak. So this is wild to me and your voicemail got me curious and so I did some Googling. So this initiative that Laurel is speaking about that she heard discussed on this Emotions Matter panel I'm reading here. It says Jail diversion initiatives have gathered much interest as a strategy for reducing the presence of people with mental illness in the criminal justice system. Under Penal Code 1001.36, California now offers, quote, mental health diversion programs that allow some criminal defendants to get mental health treatment when they are accused of a crime in the form of a pretrial diversion. Pretrial diversion allows a willing defendant to postpone further action in their case in order to participate in a treatment program that can be requested at any point in a criminal case before the sentencing. Mental disorders are characterized by problems that people experience in their mind and mood. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders DSM-5 have listed mental disorder symptoms, some of which are alcohol and substance abuse, anxiety disorders, ADHD, depression, eating disorders, generalized anxiety disorder, OCD, opioid use disorder, and many others. Then, down here it says, who is eligible? To qualify, the defendant must suffer from a condition listed in the most recent edition of the DSM, or Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Then it says, here, Defendants suffering from antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, or pedophilia are not eligible for the program. Listen, this is fucking wild to me. So, (laughs) I am sorry, I'm trying to limit my use of profane language on the podcast. I'm doing my best to rein in my F-bombs lately, but... This just makes me angry and I think it warrants a good use of fuck because what the fuck? This is insane to me that this is a
1: provision, you know, that is here to help people, this mental health diversion program, but people who have certain personality disorders are not eligible to take part in this. People with BPD Um, antisocial personality disorder and pedophilia all lumped into one category here. This just further proves my point that personality disorder diagnoses do more harm than good. There is a small percentage of people who feel empowered by this diagnosis and that is fair enough, but we must not ignore the very serious reality Of what's being done here. I get emails every week from people who are saying that they're having trouble with custody cases of their own children, getting life insurance, and now here we are seeing real evidence of things that people can take advantage of in our criminal justice system that people who have a borderline personality disorder diagnosis and we know that so many people are actually misdiagnosed but if you have this stamped on your medical records it is like a scarlet letter it is something that prevents you from getting taken seriously you are stigmatized and yes there are mental health professionals out there that don't buy into the stigma but the reality and this is where we need to live is that The majority of mental health professionals feel this way, that there is something deeply wrong and incurable about people with BPD. And this is why I truly believe that this diagnosis should be thrown in the trash. This podcast is for people who struggle with and identify with the symptoms of, you know, emptiness, impulsivity, emotion dysregulation. All of these things that happen to fall under the categorization of BPD, but I never want any of you to get it twisted. I don't believe that anyone's personality is inherently disordered. I don't believe that because I believe that human beings are capable of growth and change. I'm here to advocate for anyone who's been diagnosed with what I believe is this bullshit label. And I'm here to advocate and validate your feelings and your experiences and your symptoms, but I'm not here to pathologize and medicalize your suffering. Because I believe we live in a society that is systemically toxic in so many different ways and it tries to make us believe that we're the cause of our own suffering when so many times The ways that people feel that the people who are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, they're experiencing very real and natural reactions to traumas and systemic injustices. And especially when we're talking here about this particular um, pretrial diversion thing in California for these mental health cases, when I was doing early research about BPD, a large percentage of people that are incarcerated right now, would qualify for a borderline personality diagnosis. And these people are automatically not eligible for these programs that could really help them. This means, and really drives home the point to me, that this diagnosis does should not be a thing. And it makes me want to fight even harder to make sure that that's not the case, because Most people, they don't have a choice whether this label is stamped on them or not. And so they get this label stamped on them. And you also, in my opinion, before having this put on your medical records, you should be told by your mental health professional or your psychiatrist what this means for you. If this goes on your medical records, this means that you may have a harder time getting life insurance. If you get, find yourself in trouble with the law, you may not qualify for certain things that other people do. If you find yourself in a child custody battle, you may find that this gets used against you in court. Cough, cough, Amber Heard. I'm not trying to get into that whole mess or talk about her as a person, but the fact remains is that a diagnosis was used against her in a court of law. Where in my opinion, she should have just been judged as a human being for her actions that she chose to do. By making it about BPD, it made it even easier for everybody to just lump all of these people that happen to have this same BS diagnosis into one group of people and make vast generalizations about it. As I've said before, it's not okay in our society to say all women like pink or, you know all um may just I'm not even going to go into awful stereotypes about races but just think about like a, a stereotype that someone has about you know maybe like I'll speak for my own self I come from like I was born in a trailer myself and they'll always say oh trailer trash people love Mountain Dew I don't like Mountain Dew and I was born in a trailer do you know what I'm saying so that's It's not okay to make these vast generalizations about people and we are, as a society, realizing that as a woman, you don't always have to like pink or play with Barbies, but all of a sudden, it's okay to say that all people that have this one label assigned to them of BPD, it's all of a sudden okay to say they're all violent, they're all manipulative, they're all toxic, they're all incapable of love. That's what these labels are doing. And I have many close friends that are all here for, you know, finding empowerment in the label. But I I think that there are more harm is being done than good with these labels. And they've got to go because there is still no scientific or medical proof in existence that proves that someone's personality can be permanently disordered for life. So... I just don't buy into it and believing that I was disordered and buying into this medical model of psychiatry has only ever made me feel less resilient and less hopeful and what I've seen is that believing in hope growth and change is what inspires real healing real progress to occur so that's what I'm on the side of so thank you Laurel for bringing this to my attention because This is the stuff we need to be talking about. If you are on a mission to get a BPD diagnosis right now and you're thinking, oh, I resonate so much with these symptoms, I need to have some psychiatrist validate me and tell me that I have BPD, think twice you don't need an official diagnosis and if you do happen to have an official diagnosis this is not meant to scare you whatsoever because there are amazing people out there fighting this good fight and i have some exciting guests actually coming up in the next few months that are part of that fight people that are high level in the field of psychiatry that are wanting to fight against this i believe that we will be living in a world 10 maybe 15 years from now hopefully sooner where we'll look back on a time when we used personality disorder diagnoses as like an ancient throwback like what were we thinking type moment. I truly believe that and that's what I'm here to do fighting for all of us. I'm fighting for us. I'm advocating for us. I believe in your suffering. I believe in your symptoms but I don't believe that continuing on with this frame of personality disorder diagnoses is moving us forward i think it's holding us back and i think it's harming people more people than it is helping and we gotta find a new way of approaching this the next voicemail is from sydney
3: hi molly this is sydney Um, I was just reaching out to let you know how much you have already helped me in my journey so far since being diagnosed with BPD. I actually was just diagnosed a week ago, and I came across your podcast while looking for some self-help resources on how to process everything that's been thrown at me. I just had a baby two months ago and was committed for attempting suicide, and through that terrible event, I was diagnosed with BPD. I hate to say it, but I'm grateful for the horrendous postpartum experience I've had this far so I can finally understand all of the things that I've been feeling or lack of feeling for as long as I can remember. It's like a weight has been lifted off of me knowing that I'm not actually crazy and that other people feel everything so intensely like I do. I appreciate how real and raw you and your guests are about your lives. I've actually started taking notes on what I find helpful from each episode so I can use that to help guide me in these uncharted territories. I've even started using some quotes that have resonated with me from your episodes and have been using them as my motivation for the day and an inspiration for journaling. Thank you for helping me heal and for helping with my marriage and putting my family back together. You've done this through all of your time, work, and effort that you put into your show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Sydney thank you so much for submitting this voicemail being so open about your experience postpartum depression is not something that I've ever experienced directly but my older sister absolutely went through it I remember coming into the house and just watching my older sister like crying for no reason right after she had her baby and she went through fertility treatments she wanted to have that baby so much and I've also heard some really powerful things said in a book that I read not too long ago called uh, Sexy But Psycho.
1: It's by Dr. Jessica Taylor. She has this whole part on postpartum depression and how women are really demonized and pathologized also for these types of feelings. And it is so normal to have this kind of like huge identity crisis after you give birth. And as a society we really glamorize the idea of motherhood and we are bombarded with images of women who just make it look so easy and beautiful and you see instagram influencers with their perfect little bumps and doing doing it all and living this perfect life when the reality is is that you have this like screaming little being that needs every single moment of your attention and if you're someone who struggles with emotion dysregulation already I can only imagine and this is me completely just assuming because I haven't been through this myself yet at at this point in my life I can't even imagine how those feelings would would just be so overwhelming and feeling like this isn't what it's what I thought it would be like like I I can barely take care of myself how can I take care of this other person and then all of your childhood trauma kind of bubbling to the surface and then also having a baby you are lacking sleep you're probably not taking the best care of yourself and as many of us know that's when some of us have our worst BPD episodes is when we're stressed and we neglect our own needs and how can you not be neglecting your own needs when you are like completely taking care of a tiny little living thing. So, I just want to validate that and as much as I can validate something that I haven't experienced myself, but every woman in my life that I've spoken to honestly about their experience having a child, not a single one of them was this fucking Madonna goddess who was just like, "Oh yes, I'm just naturally falling into the role of motherhood." Like it is a really jarring experience and being confronted with those feelings of depression can make you feel like a really bad person because you're like, what, well, I'm supposed to love this and, I, and I'm and i not loving it, you know? So I'm so sorry that you went through that, but I'm so grateful to hear that you came across my content and that it's been helpful for you. And I am just wishing you so much love, giving you the biggest virtual hug and Your baby is so lucky to have a mom that's still here and also who is on a mission to be the best version of herself that she can possibly be. When I become a mother, if I'm blessed to have that happen one day, I actually do, I would like to have a child. I plan on just really showing to my child that I am a fallible, broken human being doing my best. And just being really open and honest with my child, and that's what I always wanted as a kid, was just to have real vulnerability and to see my parent admitting their faults and not feeling like I live in this bubble where everyone is, where it's there's chaos, but no one admits that it's chaos, if that makes sense. So that's my tangent on that, Um, but I'm sending you so much love and welcome. Welcome to the pod, because I know you said that you're new, so... You are so welcome here, and anyone else who's new, welcome as well. The next voicemail that I'll play is from Sophie.
4: Hey, Molly. My name's Sophie, and I'm from Arkansas. I'm 21. Um, I just wanted to leave a message for you and let you know that you have helped me start to heal so much. For most of my life, I've stuck with the mindset of everything is happening to me, rather than I'm in control of my own life. I'm trying to release the mentality that I'm the only victim or survivor. At the same time, I'm developing compassion for myself to know that what I've been through was truly difficult and traumatizing. I've been in therapy for almost a year, and while that's helped, listening to your podcast for a few months has really just helped me start to put the pieces together. Loved this week's podcast so much that I sus- subscribed to the premium access. You're truly doing amazing work and changing lives for the people like me that are so deeply confused by talking about a subject that most people find taboo
0: and stigmatized. Thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, Sophie, and I'm thankful for every single one of you that listens. This literally wouldn't be possible for me. I guess I could have a podcast that no one listened to, but I would be so... (laughs) sketched out and like have a hard time showing up to the microphone every week if I thought that I was just speaking out into the abyss alone. And hearing these voicemails is the most validating thing for me because it helps me realize that I'm doing something good and that I am speaking to this subsection of people that's finding my podcast that feels seen and validated in the way I choose to talk about mental health. And my approach and the way that I choose to, you know, tackle these subjects might not be right for everyone, nor should it be, but I'm so grateful for the people that have found me. And I'm so glad, Sophie, that you've decided to subscribe to the premium content. I had a huge wave of new premium subscribers in these last couple of weeks. And I'm so grateful to each and every one of you. I really put my heart and soul into this content and it is my dream to do this full-time. I balance doing this with a full-time job and my dream is to get to a point where I have enough subscribers to where you, my subscribers, are fueling what I do. I can do this full-time and I want to make real change. And the only way I can do that is by putting a price on my work and that's hard to do. You know, I did this for free for a really long time and it was a scary thing to start asking, you know, my listeners to support me financially, but it's the only way that I'm going to be able to accomplish what I really want to accomplish in my life and to really make a difference in helping people. And that means I need to have the ability to do this full time. I'm sending you so so much love Sophie your voicemail was a really beautiful example of how in order to really start healing we have to start holding two realities at once where yes maybe we are having this kind of victim mentality where we believe everything happens to us but also holding the self-compassion that aspect for ourselves of we were once a victim and these things did happen to us and we're understanding and putting the pieces together of how these traumatic instances in our lives turned us into the person we are today but then at the same time realizing the ways that we might be keeping ourselves stuck and also staying very aware of how The systems and the powers that be that keep us stuck, too, because I never want my listeners to feel like I am this new age spirituality guru type of person that tells you that you're in charge of
1: your entire reality and that your thoughts always become things and that if anything's happening to you, it's because of you. I don't necessarily think that's true, but I feel like there's an aspect of truth to it. And so Your voicemail was just such a beautiful example of someone who's holding and balancing these different realities and realizing that we're not always a complete victim, but we're not completely in charge of our own reality as well. It's always a balance. It's a mixture. And to hear that you're just 21 and you're already thinking about these things and that my content can help you along in your journey... This just fills me with so much joy and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you.
0: Thank you all who submitted these voicemails. I've got a ton of other voicemails um, that I plan on answering in future episodes. As you understand, I can only pick a few for each one. If you want to submit a voicemail, you can do that on backfromtheborderline.com. So today's episode is all about... Pete Davidson. And I wanted to do a profile on Pete Davidson for a really long time, so I'm super stoked to be able to do that now. It's important to highlight that when you're searching for celebrities and people that are prolific public figures that are open about having a BPD diagnosis, you don't come across much. And I think that makes sense because as you've seen, you know, many people that are highly public individuals work with PR companies and people that help them manage their public image. And due to the intense stigma of a diagnosis like BPD, like we've discussed at the beginning of this episode, I would imagine that even if they did have a borderline personality disorder diagnosis, the people in their camp would advise them strongly to not be open about that because look what happens. Again, cough, cough, Amber Heard. Um, Especially if you're a woman, for example, and if you were a celebrity and imagine if, for example, I'm just throwing this out there. Imagine if Meghan Markle, and by the way, I want to stipulate, she, to my knowledge, does not have a BPD
1: diagnosis. This is a purely hypothetical situation. But she represents someone who gets just absolutely destroyed in the press, specifically in the United Kingdom. If it came out that she and she was open about having a diagnosis of BPD, can you imagine the additional shit she would have to put up with? It would be horrifying as a, I'm just speaking as like a female celebrity to have that out in the open because it would be used against you. And so I can understand why when you're searching for people that are open about this diagnosis that are in the public eye, it's very rare to find. Just doing some quick googling here. Um, surveys have estimated that the prevalence of BPD to be one6 in the general population and 20% in the inpatient psychiatric population. Right now, just to put this in perspective, the population of the U.S. is around like 329 million people. One percent of that, if we're just kind of using rounded numbers, is like 3.2 million people. So just think about there's likely a lot more celebrities who have been diagnosed with bpd that are not open about it just celebrities that come to mind um who may have been maybe slapped with a bpd diagnosis whether it was warranted or not because you know where i stand on this i don't believe anybody's behavior deems them worthy of saying that your personality is permanently disordered But people like Britney Spears, people like Lindsay Lohan come to mind who had this really publicly erratic behavior that was caused by I can't even imagine the trauma of being a young female celebrity in the time that they were exposed to just the horrific abuses by the paparazzi. So can you imagine if Britney Spears... It came out that she had a BPD diagnosis what the additional stress and trauma she would endure due to this so all I'm saying is is that I can understand why there are not very many celebrities that are open about this and I think you can probably understand that too if you're a long time listener we've really explored the stigma in depth but I'm thankful for the certain people who have come out and and are open about it and Pete Davidson is one of those people. He has, ever since he's received his diagnosis, he's been very open about it. He discusses it really candidly. And I'm excited to be able to share with you what I found out about Pete and his life today. And just know too that this is what I found out on the internet. This is also what I found just from brief clips of him talking. I don't know Pete personally. Also, We don't know where he is now. I haven't been able to find anything recent, recent about him talking about BPD. I'm talking about within the last year. And I can only speak from my personal experience. Last year, I had a completely different view of BPD than I do now. I have changed my mind on a lot of things. And I'm sure Pete has probably changed his mind too. So I just want to preface this episode with that because it's just what I've been able to find online, written about it online. I don't know if all of this is like completely factually accurate. I've tried my best to make sure that everything is accurate, but just know that I'm just a human being putting together all of the research that I found. But then there are some things that I'll be playing that is Pete in his own words, which is obviously how he felt, but also, It's how he felt at the time. His mind may have changed. He may no longer identify with symptoms of BPD. So this episode, I want it to age well. I want when we listen back to it in 5-10 years, or if Pete somehow listened to it himself, that would be pretty cool. I want to put it out there that people's minds change. The way they feel change. Personalities change. Their dynamic. But... I'm so grateful for Pete for being so brave and coming out because regardless of whether or not the BPD diagnosis and this label changes and transforms, what he's so open about are deep, dark feelings about trauma, these symptoms that we all identify so deeply with and humans will always identify with these regardless of how the label is viewed. Him sharing this vulnerably is so healing for other people and to use a large platform like he has to speak this way i think is so brave so incredible and i wish that more celebrities would do the same we're gonna dive into pete's life and his early childhood and explore him in depth but i thought a beautiful way to open this episode up and start our conversation would just be to play a montage of Pete being open about his struggles with his mental health and how that's impacted him in his life. So let's take a listen to Pete in his own words.
5: I'm always depressed, all the time. It's like a sledgehammer to the legs. It's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get out of bed. Were you ever suicidal? Yeah, all the time. I had a really rough time in high school, so like I still have like PTSD from that shit. But you just get teased in high school or something? Oh, all the time. It was so confusing, uh, cause like my dad just died, so like you'd think like they'd be like fake nice, but not Staten Island, they nice. don't give they don't give a shit down there. I always thought there was something wrong with me. My whole entire life, I was like, I have no friends. <laughs> you know, I've been to like three different schools. Everybody hates me, so it has to be me. And then I left Staten Island, and I was like, it was literally everybody else. It's like fear of of abandonment. Like, I'm gonna lose my friends, I'm right. gonna lose my girlfriend, like, my family hates me, and I would always just, like, mm. be all around, and be worried all the time, and I'd be freaking out. Depression affects more than, like, 16 million people in this country, and there's no, like, cure per se, but for anyone dealing with it, there are treatments that can help. First of all, if you think you're depressed, you know, see a doctor and talk to them about medication, and also be healthy. Eating right and exercise can make a huge difference. How often do you still battle with depression? Oh, I'm always depressed, all the time. Um, I have to constantly bring myself out of it. Like I wake up depressed, but like I'm like, okay, now I know my steps, because you learn from real, like now I have to go outside and be in the sun for a little bit, or go for a walk, or like start the day this way. It's all just programming yourself to trick your brain. Were you ever suicidal? Yeah, all the time, but I can't, because I got a mom and a sister and like a family. So like, I've always been suicidal, but I've never had like the balls. Which I'm very uh, lucky. Is looking in the mirror hard? Yeah, I I don't like how I look. I fucking freak out. Uh, I don't have mirrors in my house. No mirrors? Nah, no, it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. How do you stop running from yourself, because you can't live in a world with no mirrors, right? That's something I have to work on. I have to, I'm definitely working on uh, trying to love myself more and be less insecure. And uh, I'm doing a lot of DBT therapy. It's pretty much for people that have like mental illness uh, and it teaches you steps and ways uh, to combat uh, like depressive feelings and shit like that. And it's super helpful. So if you guys ever need help, you should check out DBT and CBT, which is cognitive Cognitive behavior therapy. therapy. I do CBT. Sometimes it's just sitting there and just talking. But like, it's, you know, it's it's always been helpful to me. It's like steps to like thought processing. Like you have this thought, you have these feelings, you have these urges, you're gonna freak out. Try waiting it out 10 minutes. Right. Try going for a walk. How do you know when it's time to, to go get help? Like, okay, I'm doing too much. When shit gets like just, when it just gets a little insurmountable or like people are like, hey. My friends will tell me now. We're at a point where like people will come over and be like, hey, we're all like worried, so you should go. I got, I got a good group around me where they, they give a fuck. I'm all for, like, all the awareness and, you know, anything I can do to help, for sure. There's a lot of people that have it. It's like a sledgehammer to the legs. It's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get out of bed, so, like, if it can help anybody, I'm all for it, always. You think you've ever hit rock bottom? Oh yeah, I hit it all the time. My rock bottom is when like, uh, people are scared of my life and I have to go away and then I have to bring myself back up again. So like, I think I've hit it a few times and uh, you know, as long as you're around good supportive people you should be able to, you know, and if you're strong enough, you'll be able to get out of it. You've had a hard time sharing all the parts of yourself in relationships? No, I share too much and Mm. I scare the fucking shit out of people Uh, because I have, like, a lot of issues and stuff. And I I like to be very upfront about that, so there's no, like, surprises. Like, I don't want you to be surprised, like, if I, like, uh, you know, have to go away to a rehab or, like, if I have to go to, like, certain therapy or something like that. Because, you know, it just, like, breaks the ice easier. And, like, I don't want to waste your fucking time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I think, like, I come across very, like, intense and, like, I think that scares a lot. Everybody has an opinion on Pete Davidson and what's good for Pete Davidson. Right. What does Pete Davidson think is good for him? I think right now, staying on track, trying to, you know, not focus on relationships or the media or anything like that. I think just, you know, doing what I'm doing, just trying to keep your head down, keep working, and hopefully people see the work. Mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, actions speak louder than words. I feel like I'm in a good place right now. What does that mean? I'm just really looking forward to, like, uh, doing cool stuff with a lot of my friends. I have a lot of cool stuff coming out, and we're working on stuff. So it's just nice to be in a place where that's the focus and not, like, uh, you know, anything else.
0: So that was taken from a little montage from YouTube that I found. I'll link it in the episode description. I will say I didn't select that music. It's, like, that cheesy, motivational really random string quartet kind of stuff that I wouldn't I would have probably selected a different background vibe but that aside I thought that that particular clip gave such a beautiful introduction and talking about Pete because if you're anything like me you listen to that and you are like oh my god yes so much of what he said it felt like he was directly speaking to my personal experience. And there's another clip and montage of him speaking that in later in the episode I'm going to play it and I'm going to break down and pause in between clips. Some some of them are the same clips that we just heard, but then there's a lot of other ones and we're going to really dive deep
1: and I'm going to provide my reactions to some of the things that he says but I really wanted you my listener to be able to just get a long uninterrupted feeling and be put into Pete's world and really hear how he describes what he's going through in his own words that full interview with Charlemagne the God which they took a lot of those pieces from is such a good interview and i'll also link that in the show notes as well if you want to hear that full chat with pete because
0: also you get a different vibe when you are able to actually see him there talking so after you listen to this episode highly recommend that you go and watch that full interview to start off with of course i went where any good nerdy internet researcher would go which is wikipedia so let's read a little bit about just the basic facts of
1: pete davidson and then we're going to go into more in-depth reading about his life so peter michael davidson was born on november 16th 1993 and he's an american comedian and actor he was a cast member of the NBC late night sketch comedy series Saturday Night Live for eight seasons, running from 2014 to 2022. RIP Pete on SNL because of the Kardashian curse. Am I right? Davidson began his career. That was a side note for me. That's not on Wikipedia. <laughs> Davidson began his career in the early 2010s with a minor guest role on shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Friends of the People, Guy Code, and Wild N' Out. And his father, Scott Matthew Davidson, was a New York firefighter who died in 2001 at the World Trade Center during the September 11th attacks. In addition to SNL, Pete appeared in a number of movies and TV shows in the 2010s. He released his first comedy special in 2016, Pete Davidson, SMD, and his follow-up comedy special, Pete Davidson Alive from New York and that was released in 2020.
0: I searched around a lot for some good articles about Pete's early childhood and I found this really good one from grunge.com so let's read it's called the tragic real life story of Pete Davidson very clickbaity title but I read through a ton of different
1: articles and I thought this one gave a lot of the details that we'd be interested in for this episode so the article was written in 2021 too so it's like relatively recent as well comedian pete davidson has made quite a name for himself the actor and comic is perhaps best known for his appearances on snl and his relationship with his former girlfriend singer ariana grande fun fact davidson is the first star on snl who was born in the 1990s Davidson has also appeared on several MTV shows like Philosophy, Wild and Out, and Guy Code. Davidson may have several achievements under his belt, but things haven't always been easy for the entertainer. For instance, he was part of a Fox show in 2014 called Sober Companion, which was never released. Thankfully, Davidson got an opportunity to be part of SNL after that and was able to make the most of it. Davidson's life hasn't always been rosy in the least, From losing his dad when he was a child, to battling addiction and learning to live with chronic illness, there are plenty of things that are relatively not as well known as far as the comic's life is concerned. Here is a glimpse into the star's tragic past. So the first part of this article focuses on the loss of Pete's father. For Pete Davidson, one of the worst things that happened to him when he was just seven years old was dealing with the loss of his father. On September 11, 2001, Davidson's dad, Scott, who was a firefighter, lost his life in the attack on the World Trade Center as he rushed to rescue trapped people at the Marriott World Trade Center Hotel. After he made his way into the building, the tower where the hotel was located soon collapsed as it was hit by a second hijacked plane. As per Screen Rant, losing his father was extremely traumatic for Davidson, who didn't really know how to cope with his loss. He was so distraught that he had to seek help from mental health facilities in order to cope and feel better. According to a piece by the New York Post, Scott Davidson was just like his son and had a terrific sense of humor. A former classmate said that Scott was always willing to goof off and love making other people laugh. Scott was 33 years old when he was killed on 9-11. In 2014, Pete remembered his dad and tweeted, "'I can't believe it's been 13 years feels like it was just yesterday words can't express how much i miss you i just want to take a moment my whole body was just going into goosebumps describing this because i remember so clearly the day of 9 11 i was in sixth grade and i was around 11 or 12 years old at the time and I remember watching that on TV. Our teachers had it playing. My teachers were stunned. I've talked about this on the podcast before. That was such a collective traumatic moment for anyone who was old enough to sort of process what was going on at the time. And the shock waves that that sent, the way that we had to even approach getting on a plane after that. I'm not even sure if all of us know the depths of that trauma, but to be affected in such a first-person way as Pete was, to lose your father, and also to hear, for me, his dad was 33. I'm about to turn 33 myself this year in November, and it just hits me to my core. And the fact that knowing that Pete's dad was also like kind of a clowning around guy someone who really relied on humor the fact that pete also found solace in humor is a really beautiful thing and i can imagine that it's a way he can honor his father in something that i'm not sure if you know much about stand-up comics and you know people that go into stand-up comedy often find themselves there because they are people who are really wanting to poke at life's big questions and kind of make fun of the bullshit of society and comics a lot of times talk about their battles with substance abuse and dark deep moments of depression i mean someone that really comes to mind is someone like robin williams for example right they're is an element of someone who gets up there and shares some of their darkest moments with people but it can also feel very profoundly lonely and isolating and it's something that I can kind of now start to relate to more and more as a creator because every week I put these episodes out here into the world and Thousands of people are tuning into them and it's going up and up each week. But still, every time I make these episodes, I'm here alone in my in my room. And it's still such a lonely, isolating feeling. It's very bizarre. And another person that comes up is like Bo Burnham. If you haven't watched Bo Burnham's comedy special that came out during the pandemic called Inside, It's yet another example of someone who's a comedian, but also there's just like this darkness to um, them as well. And they're not afraid. They're kind of calling out. They're there to call out the darkness in the world and shine a light on some of the things that um, we really need to look at. Something that all of you may not know about me is I'm a huge, huge nerd when it comes to everything middle ages specifically like Tudor England this time period and I've always been fascinated with the role of the court jester or the fool at the court and there is always a and this reminds me of comedians right because the role of the court jester and the fool in the medieval court This was someone who could say some of the most cutting and awful things to the king's face and it would be the only person that wouldn't have to face any consequences for it. The fool could be at the court and say anything that he was typically a man that he wanted and his role was there to kind of like call things out. And I find there to be a really beautiful parallel with people like Pete Davidson or Bo Burnham, Robin Williams, these kind of, you know, deep thinking, deep feeling, funny people that sort of put their wounds out there for the world to see. And while we're all laughing and being entertained, it's actually a very isolating feeling. And what leads someone to do that for a living usually and often can come from a really traumatic past so reading this about Pete it just gives us a deeper understanding of where he's coming from and how comedy is you know a way that he copes so the article goes on to talk about Pete's early life so after losing his father Pete Davidson found it tough to confront his demons and deal with everything he was going through As per a New York Times profile, Davidson was prone to releasing his emotions in unusual ways as a kid. His mother, Amy, said it was sad how sad he was growing up. At school, Davidson once ended up pulling out all his hair in frustration, and he said later that in many ways he was a quote lab rat for physicians who were trying to understand the experiences of children of victims from the terror attacks. Davidson remembered his early days with one word, overwhelming. Pete is a perfect example, these are my words, not the article. I'm taking a sidebar here, of what trauma does. The hearing about him pulling out all of his hair and you don't hear much about more about this in the article, and if I had Pete on the podcast, this is something I would love to ask him more about. Is this experience of being a lab rat for doctors who were trying to understand the impact of the trauma of the terrorist attacks that had on, you know, families of those who were killed, and I can't imagine being a young kid grappling with adolescence and growing up and also just the time that he was growing up because for those of us who are millennials growing up in the wild west of the internet as I like to call it where you know people were on AOL instant messenger and just our parents had no idea of what the hell was going on on the internet with the rise of tumblr and then I can't even imagine dealing with that as well as having to navigate losing your, your, you know, your parent, your dad as a young man in these attacks. I just can't even imagine. So the article goes on to say, additionally, as a school kid, Davidson was not spared by his peers and he was bullied. In an interview, he revealed to Peter Rosenberg that he had just one friend he could trust in high school and many other kids weren't nice to him. He said, I was in school having a really rough time grieving so I was acting out a little bit and I didn't have any friends and this is something that I want to talk about more in future episodes but when you have big feelings and you have these kind of more when we are like Pete junior high and high school for my American listeners and for all my other listeners around the world, these are the ages of between, you know, 12 years old and 18 years old. These are some of the hardest times that we will ever have in our lives because kids are mean. <laughs> and kids also are so interested in kind of protecting themselves that the their ability to have compassion for other people. And I'm not saying there aren't kids out there with really big hearts that stand up for others, but it's just those kids who do bully and attack, those are the experiences that stand out in our mind. And when you're that age, it can feel like life, you can't imagine being an adult. It feels like you're perpetually stuck in in adolescence. I remember crying myself to sleep so often. I was so thoroughly bullied by really mean girls in my school and it was subtle bullying and what I mean by that is I feel like when we hear think about bullying we think about these stereotypical images of bullies from like films from the 80s to the early you know 90s early 2010s where it's or early 2000s rather, where it's like a a jock guy pushing a nerdy boy into a locker, you know, like this just like, or the girl with braces and glasses and like girls are like, oh, you're ugly, you know. While that happens, I'm talking about the kind of bullying where it's subtle, where you kind of like hear the whispers and you know you're being spoken about and you hear about the parties that other people have and you're not invited to them. And... I had girls who would get on AOL Instant Messenger when I was young under like a false screen name and bully me on Instant Messenger. And oh my god, just thinking back to that time just makes me want to give a huge hug to anyone if you are someone who happens to be a young person listening to my podcast I just want to tell you it get it does get better I'm not saying life is a a bucket of rainbows but being an adolescent is one of the hardest times ever and not a lot of adults in my opinion remember that to the extent that they should and I don't think that they validate the experience and difficulty of being a teenager enough what you often hear from adults is like you better enjoy this time while you can because when you're an adult you have to worry about bills you know what i mean and i'm like no 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 yeah being an adult has its own shittiness but the feelings that you feel the isolation that you feel the ways that young people can be very cruel and unself-aware is can be so traumatizing and it was incredibly traumatizing i can only speak to my experience as a young millennial or i don't even know if i'm a young millennial i'm just a millennial um i'm young
0: i'm so young uh
1: (laughs) but and i can only also imagine how difficult it is for members of gen z and even younger now i don't know i feel like the generation below gen z is gen alpha now i'm starting to lose track but just young people also are navigating this digital world and i just can't even imagine how hard it is and i just want you to know i love you and i'm sending you a huge hug because it's so so fucking hard and not enough people validate and talk about that so the article goes on to talk about how pete davidson found himself in comedy interestingly pete davidson was drawn to comedy really early he was still a teenager when he performed for the first time as per a piece by the ringer he was 16 years old when he took to the stage at Looney bin comedy club lol also that it's called Looney bin comedy club i'm sure that that's he would actually find that funny too it's like crazy person comedy club that's probably where i would perform too pete He was a little awkward and a bit unsure, but went ahead and delivered an impressive act nevertheless, saying the most unusual lines without batting an eyelid. For example, he cracked a joke about being attracted to cougars. I think 21-year-olds are so hot. (laughs) Oh my god, thinking about 21-year-olds being cougars literally makes me want to jump off a bridge. He later explained his style when he said that he prefers being himself and can't do impressions. He said, I don't know how to act or write characters or do impressions. It also helped that Pete Davidson received a lot of support from his mom as far as stand-up comedy was concerned and would take him to gigs when he wanted to go. She told the New York Times, He had a tough time growing up without a dad. I wanted him to be happy, and this stand-up comedy thing made him really, really happy, she said. For Davidson, comedy clubs felt like a safe haven where he could finally blend in and feel at ease. It's interesting because if you're familiar with Pete and you keep up with pop culture, I wish that I knew less about the lives of celebrities, but alas, sometimes I fall down that rabbit hole. Pete has a history of dating women that are significantly older than him ariana grande was like a brief blip in time where he dated someone that was like closer to his age range or a lot younger i think even but he's been linked to actresses like kate beckinsale who are like twice his age he's now dating kim kardashian who's in her 40s and thinking about this i can actually Understand probably why Pete is attracted to people that are older than him because if you can imagine what going through something as traumatic as that, it makes probably dealing with young people who are caught up in very um, immature things and worries seem just not relatable. I could imagine that women who were older and maybe who had even had children and felt like they you know were having deeper thoughts and thinking about life in a more um I don't know profound way how that could probably be more attractive to people that were closer to your own age because maybe Pete felt like he was an old soul I can only imagine and listening to him talk you know it seems like that's the case so that's just like a sidebar for me again I'm just speculating but I think that it's a funny thing to say like, oh, I'm into cougars, but I think at a higher level, I'd be also interested. One day, I swear I will interview Pete because I'd love to ask like if there was a connection to him being attracted to women that were older than him, if that maybe has some kind of link to him just feeling like he was more mature from a very young age because of the things that he had been through. The article goes on to say Pete Davidson has battled a chronic illness ever since he was a teenager. As per cheat sheet, he was first diagnosed with Crohn's disease when he was around 17 or 18 and has learned to live with it. He mentioned that even though he got medical assistance and whatever he needed from doctors, the only thing that seemed to work for him was marijuana. He said my stomach would just be in pain all day and I wouldn't be able to eat and then I'd smoke and I'd be able to eat and do my shows. Crohn's disease according to the Crohn's and colitis foundation is a chronic ailment an inflammatory bowel disease that can result in your gastrointestinal tract being inflamed some of the symptoms include constipation pain and cramps diarrhea rectal bleeding and more despite living with Crohn's for a major part of his life Davidson hasn't let the illness bring him down Back when he was with Ariana Grande and got bullied for dark circles under his eyes, which can be a symptom of Crohn's disease, his former girlfriend shot back at haters and wrote on Twitter, you do know that this man has an autoimmune disease, right? So I'm going to take a pause here and break this down. So I don't know if any of you know anyone in your life that's battled Crohn's disease. A My ex one of his best friends in the world who i became very close to during our relationship was diagnosed with crohn's disease and i experienced very close hand not first hand obviously because i don't have crohn's but i saw this friend of ours be hospitalized for this i saw how he would have plans and be ready to go do something with us but couldn't do it last minute because he would have a flare-up of Crohn's if any of you have ever had like a really fucked up stomach like you know maybe have a stomach bug and you know like you can go to work if you have a cold you've got us got the sniffles like you can work you can get through your day but there are certain things like if you're throwing up or if you are if your stomach is jacked up to the point where you just are not Able to get off the toilet, that is something that just halts your day and it completely halts your quality of life. And Crohn's is something that really, really rakes havoc on somebody's life. And I find this really interesting as well. And this is also something that if I wish that Pete was here because I'd love to talk to him about it. If any of you have heard all the episodes of the podcast, we've talked about this study called the ACEs study and it's like called adverse childhood experiences and there's a lot of work there's some problematic stuff with ACEs that I will dig into in future episodes but the main point of this really pivotal research and it's a very new research I'm talking about within the last 10 years that trauma that we go through early in life actually can manifest into chronic inflammation within the body and that means you know disease the word disease is dis ease chronic long-term stress exposure to trauma eventually can turn into um inflammation disease crohn's disease you know cancer later on in life as i mentioned i'd love to do an episode just on this but we are seeing more and more in the research that trauma can lead to inflammation which can lead to things like Crohn's. Crohn's is an inflammatory bowel disease and Pete is a really good example here. I'm obviously not a doctor but extreme traumatic things happening to this person and then them experiencing an inflammatory autoimmune disease. It all lines up. So the article continues on. For Pete Davidson, turning to something like marijuana to perform has had a negative impact on his life. He found himself getting addicted over the years. In fact, as per another article, the star has had to check himself into rehab and seek help for his addiction in the past. He's never shied away from speaking about his journey, though. In 2017, he publicly spoke about seeking help to beat addiction and becoming sober after a long time. Interestingly, He even mentioned his decision to go to rehab on Saturday Night Live. He cracked a joke and said, I'm going on a little vacation, you know, the kind of vacation where insurance pays for some of it and they take your phone and your shoelaces and you have roommates, but still it costs like $100,000. In addition to seeking help for his drug use, he also mentioned that rehab was a good for his mental health battles and helped him immensely. And we'll get to this later, but I did find out in my research that 2017 is when he was diagnosed with BPD. So it, this is like the timeline. So it sounds like the first time he chose to check himself into rehab for these addiction issues was around the same time that he received his BPD diagnosis. So we'll continue reading here. While Pete Davidson was trying to find ways to deal with his demons and keep himself afloat, he found some solace after he discovered Kid Cudi's music. According to Billboard, the musician's work was instrumental in helping him get through his darkest times. He said, I would have killed myself. Absolutely. 100%. I truly believe if Man on the Moon didn't come out, I wouldn't be here. He also spoke about how learning about how Kid Cudi's mental health battles was something that he found rather enlightening. He said that it would have helped if the musician had opened up more about his personal battles because it would have made others relate to him even more. He added, I've been in and out of things like that and I think that's why a lot of kids my age can relate to Kid Cudi, Davidson said, before adding that his fans love him because he's not afraid to be emotional, which in turn In addition to the things he already struggles with, Pete Davidson also lives with borderline personality disorder. As reported by Time, Davidson's BPD diagnosis was only revealed in 2017. He took to Instagram where he once wrote at length about how his behavior had led to others lashing out at him. He wrote, I've been getting online bullied and in public by people for nine months. He added that one of the major reasons he decided to go public with his diagnosis was the fact that he hoped that his revelation would help others who found themselves in despair like him. As per a piece by today, many experts praise Davidson for choosing to go public with his diagnosis. An assistant professor of psychiatry at Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, Sophie Lazarus said that for someone like Davidson to speak up about his diagnosis can go a long way in taking away the stigma attached to the illness. She said, someone who thinks they're untreatable Overly emotional or damaged might see this and look up what the symptoms are and seek treatment. So I found this time story that discusses in detail and was released around the same time that Pete was coming out and talking about his BPD diagnosis. So we're going to jump from this Grunge article over to the Time.com article as well. This is written by Megan McCluskey on December 3rd, 2018. So the article says, Pete Davidson has publicly addressed his struggle with borderline personality disorder as well as the bullying he's endured because of mental illness. Pete Davidson took to Instagram, On Monday, to share a notes screenshot in which he spoke out against the way he's been treated by those critical of his behavior, Davidson was diagnosed with BPD in 2017. So here's that full Instagram post that Pete posted. I've kept my mouth shut. Never mentioned any names. Never said a word about anyone or anything. I'm trying to understand how when something happens to a guy, the entire world just trashes him without any facts or frame of reference. Especially in today's climate where everyone loves to be offended and upset, it's truly mind boggling. I've been getting online bullied and in public by people for nine months. I've spoken about BPD and being suicidal publicly only in the hopes that it will help bring awareness and help kids like myself who don't want to be on this earth. I just want you guys to know, no matter how hard the internet or anyone tries to make me kill myself, I won't. I'm upset I even have to say this. To all those holding me down and seeing this for what it is, I see you and I love you. Davidson has previously spoken about his mental health struggles, both on SNL and in interviews. Quote, I've been having a lot of problems, he told Mark Marin on the What the Fuck podcast in 2017. This whole year has been a fucking nightmare. This has been the worst year of my life, getting diagnosed with this and trying to figure out how to learn and live with this. So that's that entire Times piece. And I think we can all put ourselves in the shoes of Pete, for those of you who have had a formal diagnosis or for people like me who've sat down with a psychiatrist and told that you have traits of BPD and then going and looking online and seeing all the stuff about it being incurable and how you know it's it can only be managed and that it's a lifetime illness. Pete is also just a human being. He's not a mental health professional. He's just like each and every one of us where He just takes the word of these professionals. And then I'm sure, just like the rest of us, he goes on and Googles this thing. And it's so incredibly overwhelming. And then also on top of that, to be receiving all this hatred and bullying online, I think that each and every one of us can imagine how that being in Pete's particular shoes combined with all the trauma that he endured as a child I cannot even imagine how that would definitely take me to a really, really dark place. And for him to be open about this battle, it just goes to show how brave he is, but also just this kind of like, fuck this, I'm not going to let the world bring me down. And I think he's a really, really strong and resilient person. So we're going to hop back to the Grunge article and talk about Pete's relationships. When it comes to pete davidson's personal life things have been rocky to say the least the comedian was with popular singer ariana grande for a short period and the two hit it off so well that they even ended up announcing their engagement in 2018. someone close to grande said back then that their breakup wasn't surprising because things happened way too fast Davidson was majorly impacted by the split and even deleted his social media accounts after the breakup. The split was announced right after Grande lost her ex-boyfriend, Mac Miller, to a drug overdose. So, I want to take a pause here and add my commentary because I know this is also something so many of us can relate to, is these Really fast moving relationships where things get really intimate really soon. You move in with people really soon. You feel like you decide you want to marry them and spend the rest of your life with them before you even really get to know them. You're kind of idealizing these people. And Pete is no different than each and every one of us. I just read a post in the BPD subreddit the other day that said, Does anyone else feel like their BPD is way worse when they're in a relationship? And in my mind, I'm like, well, yeah, yes, of course. I'm sure all of us feel that way because being in interpersonal relationships, it triggers every aspect of our emotional dysregulation, our abandonment fears, all of these things. So it makes perfect sense. So before his relationship with Grande, Davidson was also linked to Cassie David, comedian Larry David's daughter. Cassie once revealed that when she found out that Davidson had decided to conceal tattoos that were dedicated to her, she felt distraught and worried. And this is a pause on my part too. As we know, like Pete is covered in tattoos and he's known to getting tattoos for the person that he's with he did that with ariana grande he clearly did that with this girl kazzy and you can probably put yourself in her shoes if you found out that someone like got a tattoo about you and then just kind of like surprise maybe when you'd only been together for a short period of time because i read that these two were actually only together for a year kazzy and pete davidson so I can imagine how that might freak someone out, right? Making a permanent declaration on your body for a relationship that's only lasted for a year. But I'm sure all of us who identify with BPD, we can understand that. But even Pete has gotten tattoos, multiple tattoos dedicated to Kim Kardashian. She, he has gotten a tattoo on his collarbone, I think that says like my girl is a lawyer. Kim Kardashian, for those of you who don't know, she's taken the baby bar exam. So she is in pursuit of... Um, becoming an attorney like her father so it's no strange thing for pete to be making these like impulsive permanent bodily choices um for his relationships at the time again hard relate hard relate i can i can relate so the article goes on to talk about pete and his suicidal thoughts back in 2018 after his breakup with ariana grande Pete Davidson scared many fans when he took to Instagram to share a message that was highly unsettling. He wrote, I'm doing my best to stay here for you, but I actually don't know how much longer I can last. All I've ever tried to do is help people. Just remember, I told you so. After posting this message, Davidson got rid of his account, but his worried fans were quick to react. The New York Police Department went a check on Davidson and made sure that he was safe and accounted for. His message received comments from hordes of fans who offered him support. Unfortunately, a few commentators encouraged him to take his life. Other celebrities offered their support to Davidson as well, and Kid Cudi tweeted, Thinking about you, Pete. Hit me back, bro. Thankfully, nothing drastic happened, and Davidson was safe. This wasn't the first time Pete had struggled with thoughts of suicide. Even as a child, according to an insider piece, Davidson once tried to take his own life in a pool, but survived. So this is a side note for me, and I'm just so disgusted by people on the internet who tweet things like this. The fact that Pete received tweets and messages from people encouraging him to end his life is just truly disgusting and i feel like that bears stating and secondly this is another thing you know people who struggle with suicidal thoughts and ideations or attempts are often slapped with a bpd diagnosis and so often stigmatized but what is not talked about enough is are these thoughts and these actions a normal response to serious trauma and in Pete's instance my god look at what this person has been through and experienced in his life how could someone not struggle with thoughts of like what is the point of this can you imagine what that would be to lose a parent and i'm sure some of you who have listened to this podcast have been through that and to lose a parent in an event like 911 what that would do to your sense of spirituality of like what's the point and is there a god that would let something like this happen like I can only imagine especially as a child right you can't zoom out and see things from a higher perspective and there back when Pete was going through all of this there was no trauma-informed therapy there was no like EMDR or things like this and I'm sure that back then even if he could access it. Maybe he couldn't afford these things. And so instead, young people are just left to suffer the horrific effects of trauma and feel alone in it. And I can understand why they would feel like they want to press the exit button. We can understand, right? This, this makes sense. It's understandable he would be going through this. Thank God... He was not successful in these attempts. I'm so thankful that he's now found treatment and skills because something that I want to impart upon all of you listening is it. so many people struggle with these feelings. But what helps me in moments and in moments where I've felt this way is knowing that there are no feelings that last forever. When those feelings are really strong and we're going to hear actually how pete tackles these feelings i have more interview clips that i'm going to be playing from him and later in the episode how he moves through these feelings what he does dousing your face in cold water you know really going on a sprint around the block we have to combat our brains our thoughts and our minds will actually kind of try to trick us and there are ways that we can trick it back if that makes sense and it's all about understanding that feelings just wondering what the point is those are so normal and painful absolutely but that they do pass and there are things that we can do there are tools and skills that we can put into play to get ourselves through those moments so the article goes on to say if there's one thing about pete davidson he doesn't shy away From doing, it's being transparent about his dark side and opening up as much as he can about the things he's gone through. As per a piece by People, Davidson revealed earlier in 2020 that he was extremely reckless back in 2018 when he was going through an especially difficult time and would turn to unhealthy outlets to feel better. He said, I mean, I was just like testing the waters. And then I met the right treatments and met the right doctors and all the work you need to do, like not feel that way. It got me pretty dark and scary. He would do things like drive on busy streets with his eyes shut. He also wouldn't put on a seatbelt during those times. Luckily, nothing bad came out of it, but the entertainer acknowledged how scary and rash that choice was. Pete Davidson has also used tattoos to reclaim his voice, express himself and cover up the scars he has from self-harm. According to a piece by The Mighty, Davidson would often hurt himself by cutting to deal with his emotions. In an interview, he gave his fans more perspective when he was asked how he knew he needed to get professional help. He said he knows things are going south when he ends up cutting himself and things feel a little bit too unbearable, or even when his loved ones come up to him and say something like, Hey, we're all really worried. You should go and get help. He added that he has a close, very good circle of friends and loved ones who care deeply about him and his mental health. Additionally, he revealed that he first started getting inked to conceal the scars he sustained from hurting himself. According to the New York Times, Davidson got a tattoo of his father's badge number on his left arm as a tribute to Scott Davidson. Unfortunately for Pete Davidson, despite being the powerhouse of talent that he is, his personal life has always often overshadowed his professional triumphs. It's also worth mentioning that Davidson has often used that in a way that lets him continue making jokes. As a GQ profile illustrated, Davidson once said while roasting Justin Bieber, I lost my dad on 9-11, and I always regretted growing up without a dad. Until I met your dad, Justin. Now I'm glad mine's dead. Davidson, in fact, was enough of a sport to allow a movie to be made on his life called The King of Staten Island. He explained that when you're being portrayed in a certain light by tabloids, you don't quite get to choose how you're represented. He explained, So I really took advantage of this opportunity in the film to show how I truly feel. And I think that there's something beautiful in that. There's a few things that I want to unpack here, specifically also about the tattoos. This is something I can really relate to with Pete. Like just tattoos, self-harm, impulsivity in general. If you're a long-term listener of the podcast you know about the big empty it's something that I talk about it's those chronic feelings of emptiness it's that thing that happens when all of a sudden like you're you're fine but then maybe there's a a moment of silence where you're with your thoughts and then that's how I like to say it's like the boom the big empty hits you and it's just like the weight of existence and then you maybe have these impulsive feelings of I need to smoke weed I need to get a drink I need to distract myself I need to I don't know use porn I need to do the whatever your impulsive thing is maybe it's going on a dating app and swiping like I need to get validation and attention I need to feel real in this moment so I need to numb out distract from the big empty and I think because all of us are so different We all have different coping strategies. I also am of the belief, and I'm going to do another episode on this as well, is that self-harm, specifically cutting, I think the prevalence of it went up because it's so publicized. So for example, there's this study that there was a phenomenon in Japan many years ago where um, a girl just dropped dead in the street because she... And, and when they found her, they thought she was, they thought that she was a little old woman. And when they finally did an autopsy, they found out that she was a 14 year old girl and she was so severely underweight and her cause of death was actually starving herself. And after that happened, there was an explosion of similar deaths in Japan. Other teenage girls started starving themselves and dying in similar ways And the book that I'm reading, which is Cracked uh, by James Davies, it's kind of like um, exploring the just psychiatry in the United States and the United Kingdom, talked about how the very real suffering that we're all feeling as a collective sometimes it latches on to fads. So if you remember in the Tumblr era, right, if you were in the United States or if you if you had a Tumblr account in the early 2000s, there was a thing about the thigh gap and it was like really popular to be really skinny and anorexic. And then now there's like a, a blow up of having different mental illnesses or cutting. And he, James Davies specifically talks about self-harm is that as soon as it starts being publicized, it starts happening more and that young people or people, they read about it and then it's like, oh, here's a way I can channel my my despair. And if it were another fad, if it was something else, young people or people may channel their despair in that other um, popular way of the time. So I think that's a really interesting way to see things because it depends on where you grow up and what's publicized i even feel like this is something that coincides with some of these shootings these mass shootings that we have they're so highly publicized and so some of these really disaffected young people they are seeing it in the news and so then they're like i'm gonna channel my frustration that way right This is just a theory that I have but I think it's something that's interesting to explore and when we talk about Pete Davidson, you know, tattoos, self-harm, like I think that we see these things in the media, we see them on socials, like all of these things and we go, okay, I'm feeling distressed so maybe I'll try cutting myself, right? So I want to talk about this. I think it's so important that we discuss these things and know that no matter who we are, we're going to have our different ways of coping and our different um, mechanisms that we use, whether that be reaching for weed, reaching for alcohol, reaching for porn, reaching for sexual validation in the form of sex as self-harm as we've talked about. Maybe it is classic self-harm in the form of cutting. Maybe it's restricting or binging food. But what we can all agree on is that I think these are ways that we distract ourselves from what I call the big empty. They are all rooted in this collective traumatic suffering that we have and that the feelings do pass. And this is the benefit of things like dialectical behavior therapy, different skills-based therapies, because they can allow you to better tune into your emotion feel what's going on and then choose your reaction rather than feeling like you go into patterns of self-harm. You can say, okay, I'm feeling this feeling. Now I'm going to go to my, my toolkit of skills that I have, whether that be dunking my face in ice water, which really helps screaming into a pillow, going and running around the block, whatever skill you have, having those skills in your emotional toolbox can help us get through those moments of when we feel like we're triggered and we're going to go to our self-harming patterns whatever those might be so the article about pete goes on to say one of the most interesting and hard-hitting revelations that pete davidson has ever made is that he felt targeted and bullied on snl earlier this year according to a refinery 29 piece Davidson got super candid while speaking to his friend, Charlemagne the God. He said that he's been unsure about what was happening on the show. He explained that while he felt extremely excited about being on the show at first, he realized that he was being targeted in jokes in the subsequent seasons. Davidson put it simply when he explained exactly how he felt. He said, I have a weird feeling in that building where I don't know whose team they're really playing for. If I'm the joke or if I'm in on the joke. There may be some truth to this as many sketches that Davidson has been a part of made him push himself in many ways. Either he was portraying a dumb character or he was opening up about morbid and extremely private details from his life. Essentially, Davidson wasn't sure whether he was really being respected on the show and even wondered whether it was a good idea for him to leave Saturday Night Live at one point. So at the beginning of this article, I made a joke saying... It was the Kardashian curse that made him leave SNL. That was a complete joke. (laughs) It had to be made. But clearly, whatever choice Pete made to leave the show was in his own best interest. And of course, we support that. I think all of us know the feeling of just that hunch. You should trust your intuition. It's like if you feel like something is not the right environment for you, you have to make the best choice and I can't imagine how difficult that was to walk away from SNL because that's a huge show and also when you get really comfortable with something especially when you identify with BPD change can be really hard and so I can't imagine that that was an easy decision for him and to advocate for himself and make the best choice is
0: very brave so now what I want to do is Play some different clips of Pete talking about BPD and his mental health and
1: we will unpack them a bit more something that I always have wanted to do is exactly this and it's why I have an ultimate goal of one day being able to interview Pete himself because what I found is that He's not ever been interviewed by someone else who has lived experience and is open about identifying with BPD traits and I find a certain sense of frustration sometimes in listening, a lot of times, in listening to the people that are interviewing him because you can just tell that even if they want to, they don't quite get it and there are certain things that I'm just like, "Mm, I wouldn't have worded my question this way or I would love to have asked him more about this, you know, and this allows me to do that a little bit (laughs) in the best way that I can. So let's just dive into this clip and I'll pause it throughout. Some of these clips you will have heard in that beginning intro, but some of them you won't and it also will not have the cringy orchestra music behind it. So (laughs) let's hear Pete in his own words and then we'll just pause and
0: discuss.
5: Well, as some of you may know, I was recently diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder.
1: It's been a roller coaster year for comedian Pete Davidson. Some people are
5: sad. Some yeah. people kind of work and figure their stuff out.
3: We're talking about borderline
5: personality disorder, right? right? And, you know, if you if you don't want to talk about it, tell me. But if no, you, I can uh, talk about. It. Yeah, of course you do. But how often do you still battle with depression? Oh, I'm always depressed, all the time. Um, I have to constantly bring myself out of it. Like I wake up depressed, but like, I'm like, okay, now I know my steps. Cause I you learn from real, like now I have to go outside and be in the sun for a little bit, or go for a walk or like start the day this way. It's all just programming yourself to trick your brain. You know?
0: What I love about this in particular is it highlights something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is that recovery is not linear. That's said so often that it's almost become a little bit cliche at this point but there is no magical finish line of cured or recovered normal those things don't exist life is really fucking hard and it's gonna continue throwing us curveballs and what makes it 10 times harder to navigate life is if you're constantly putting this measuring all right, everyone, that's it for the free public version of the podcast this week. If you would like to unlock access to this full episode, I continue on for an additional hour where I do a deep dive analysis into some of my favorite interview excerpts with pete that he's given throughout the years since his bpd diagnosis and i kind of pause them provide my reactions and also debunk some of the things that i think are a little bit misinformed about what he shares completely innocently of course and I think it's just really important that we have these balanced conversations so if you would like to unlock access to that deep dive version of the podcast you can listen to it right now by becoming a premium subscriber of the podcast you can do that by going to the episode description of this episode scrolling all the way down and clicking at the very bottom the link that says unlock premium access. Once you sign up, you'll get a link to my private RSS feed and you'll be able to instantly binge this next part of the episode as well as hours and hours of other premium episodes. But if not, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I love you very much and I can't wait to see you right back here with me next week.